Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, into LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy with Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have an awesome guest and we're going to be flying very high with this guest. His name is Lane Bean. Lane is a F-16 pilot who has been doing multifamily syndication and recently has been doing development. He owns almost 700 units uh, in a DFW area. And uh, also there's another like out of that, uh, another 200 plus units in the Longview, Texas, uh, which is a tertiary market. So we're going to go a bit more detail into that as well. And he has been recently doing, working on a hard development project uh, near Austin, uh, almost 300 units uh, with a $15 million equity raise and total valuation of that project of almost $52 million. Hey, Lane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, James, for having me on the show this afternoon. I'm excited to share with your audience and share with other up-and-coming real estate investors on what I learned so that they can become a better millionaire and they can get to their financial goals safer and more quickly than I was able to do that. Yeah, yeah. We always want to share, right? I mean, real estate investors are really interesting people, right? This is one profession where people like to share how they come up in, in, uh, in their business. I'm not sure why, or maybe we are just within the circle of people who like to share. Maybe there are a lot of people who doesn't share, right? But, but in general, I've seen like uh, a lot of my friends and my circle, uh, we like to share and we have all these podcasts, which gives all that information, right? So it's very interesting, uh, you know, just uh, investment uh, asset class, right? So, you know, you, you are doing, I mean, F-16 is, I mean, for me, from, from I can see from the ground, it flies very fast. It's super sophisticated. How much is in a, do you know the rough estimate of a cost of a F-16? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a real estate <laughs> syndication for sure. Uh, Does it go so to billions? I, or well, millions? Me, me and you and our whole network of investors would probably have to uh, get a good <laughs> debt. We'd have to get a good financing. <laughs> to make it right. I think, James, I think that the basic model is right around $40 million. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the luxury apartment F-16 is probably $45 million or more. So that's for one. <laughs> and you've got to have about 24 units of that. So oh, uh, 24 God. times 30 uh-huh. is a pretty big uh, tax liability. So that's kind of yeah. what it is. So to fly a plane, I presume, I mean, to fly a plane, you know, I wouldn't say simple. I mean, it's already complicated, right? To fly an F-16 must be more complicated, right? And so like in general, how many knobs do you have to turn to make it fly like what Mm -hmm. it flies? How many controls Um, do you have? Tough question there to answer, James, but... (laughs) Or is it all automated? (laughs) Yeah, I'd say it's like this. 
imagine you're doing brain surgery while you're juggling four bowling pins. Mm. That's sometimes what it's like. And then other times it's like, imagine watching your kid play the violin at a recital. It's so boring, mm. you know, and you're just trying to keep yourself awake. Got it. And then other times it's almost impossible. Brain surgery while juggling bowling pins yeah so between those two extremes the number of buttons and the number of switches and the number of displays you have to watch varies greatly see you are still flying right now i mean you're you're not like a retired person or you're still flying i mean is it because you enjoy flying james i've got the best job ever <laughs> and flying is like riding a and some of your audience i know is going to love this some of them probably will hate it but it's like riding a roller coaster with no rails. And so I grew up in Fort Worth in North Texas. And uh, there's a big amusement park here in the area where I live. Uh, and it's called Six Flags. And I know a lot of people have probably been to Six Flags before. But I remember as a kid, when I was in the seventh or eighth grade, uh, there was a roller coaster that we would ride. And it took, you know, four or five minutes to ride. And then they'd let you off. And on certain times of the summer, when it was like a day week, you know, there was no line. So you could sprint from the exit back around through the uh, line and then get back in line. And it would take you about two minutes to race from the exit of the roller coaster back to the end. And I think I rode it 42 times <laughs> with not stopping. <laughs> it was so much because fun. So much. <laughs> That's very interesting and analogy right so. so now flying an f-16 is like a uh, an adult roller coaster but there's no rails and there's no line so <laughs> and you can fly because no one's up there right i mean you probably have some you know you see it's a white sky you know open sky and you can fly you know it's very interesting so throughout your career i mean throughout your life you know you become an f-16 pilot at what point did this aha moment of real estate came in and at what point did from real estate to multifamily came in? Uh, James, that's a great question. And so here is a short story to a, mm -hmm. or a short answer to a very long story. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, in the Air Force and I was in our squadron lounge drinking coffee on September 11th. And somebody said, well, it was an accident. And we went in to watch television and there was a you know, that was when the first aircraft hit the World Trade Centers. And then not too long after that, the second aircraft hit the World Trade Centers. And I remember thinking, what, what's going on here? You know, I, no one really knew at the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the senior pilots that ha was a pilot for American Airlines was right beside me. And he said, that's it. And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean that's it? And he said, the economy the airlines, the travel industry is over. You mean and even said, after the first uh, plane hits? Almost immediately, you know, and I think that oh. was 10.30 here and, and about 11 o'clock, he said, that's it. And oh. I said, well, what do you mean that's it? That's not it because maybe you don't understand, but Lane Bean's going to become a commercial airline pilot and, you know, make a half, half million dollars and work one time a year. So you can't just stop that. That was my goal. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's it. And sure enough, that was the economy changed forever. Wow. And so I went into a, you know, into a period of what I was trying to do was totally gone. I was going to be, my career was going to transition from the Air Force pilot to commercial aviation and be an American Airlines Delta pilot or United pilot. That didn't work out because for the next 10 years, those companies stopped hiring pilots. And so I went into a tailspin thinking, what am I going to do now? And so what I did was I was always very interested in 
you know, making repairs. I like doing house. I like doing carpentry work, working with wood, working with my projects on my own house and improving them. And so in my neighborhood, and this is right around 2000, so 20 years ago. And so in my neighborhood, there was a vacant house that had been vacant for six or eight months. And I thought, well, if I can improve my own house and make it better, why don't I try to buy this one and rent it out and make it better? And so I did. And after learning that process, I thought, well, this isn't that hard. Bought another one, bought another one, bought another one, bought another one, bought another one. And eventually I had 10 single family properties, buy, rent, renovate, improve it, and then hold it. But then 2008 came where you could no longer continually advantageously finance these houses because I had too many. Hmm. And they said, well, now you have to either one, you know, put a very large, you can't get favorable financing on single families at this rate, or you have to go to commercial. And so that's when I went and transitioned to commercial, which is for your audience. I know they know, but that is multifamily five plus units. And that's what started my career in multifamily. Yeah, very interesting, right? Because I, I did the same. I, I went up like 10 properties and I bought one more, uh, 11. And I, was, I have to go to commercial loan because they didn't want to do it. And that's where I have to jump to multifamily, right? Because it's just very hard to do a single families in terms of scaling up and all that, right? So cool. I mean, and, and how did you build up this 700 units in DFW and Longview? Can you quickly tell us what's your timeline in terms of, you know, moving from, uh, you know, 10 single family, what was your first purchase in multifamily and going to like up to 700? Some really great lessons here to share with your audience if they are in the process of maybe operating or syndicating their own deals. And so I had this mentality and I was pretty good at single family. You know, I had 10 of them and they were all doing really well and I didn't need to sell them or anything. But I had the attitude of DIY because as a single family operator, you have to DIY, do it yourself, right? That's what you have to do because there's just not that much revenue to hire professionals. You can, but it's more difficult, right? And so I took this attitude of DIY. I'm going to find it, find a multifamily property. I'm going to finance it myself or very little bit of partners. I'm going to acquire it. I'm going to manage it myself. And let me tell you, for everybody listening, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. DIY doesn't work <laughs> in multifamily. You have to partner with a good team. Now, the question you asked me was not DIY. The question you asked me was, how did I get started on my timeline? And I'm mentioning that I had a do-it-yourself mentality, and I took that mentality into multifamily indicate, uh, syndication or operations for two straight years, and it was a complete... Uh, discouragement because I had no results or progress whatsoever because I wasn't reaching out to other professionals and utilizing their skill sets. I was trying to develop my own skill set. And so for two years, I made no progress whatsoever. And then I finally learned that in the multifamily community, because the projects are bigger, you have to develop a team. Once I developed that team, I was able to accelerate and get properties and acquire assets and manage them correctly and safe and securely much more quickly and much more efficiently and productive. So that's the timeline. Mm -hmm. Two years of complete strikeout. And then starting at month 24, when I changed 
instead of stop trying to do it myself and started trying to partner with other professionals and experts in the field, my results skyrocketed. What was the first person that you think was the the the, the team member that you wanted, or and or, or who's the other person that you think the most crucial team member? Somebody just like James, or somebody that's got uh, achieve investment uh, coaching. Somebody that can hold your hand or can just be there to help you. I tell this to everybody. I say, when you hire someone smarter than you, you show that you're smarter than them. And so my advice is not to egoistically brag, is to surround yourself with very smart people. And the very first person you need is a coach or a mentor or an advisor that's already successfully walked that path. And they don't have to be, you know, a hundred years of experience, but they need to have some experience where they can say, hey, Lane, James, hey, don't do that. I would recommend you direct your efforts here. Let me connect you with my friend who is a broker. Let me connect you with my friend who's a commercial insurance specialist. And then that's how you start building these networks. That's how you build your team. But the, the answer to your question clearly is find an advisor or coach or mentor or partner that has experience. That's who I would put on my team first. Yeah. Yeah. It's very surprising. I mean, not say surprising. It's sometimes when you are coming from a different world by itself, like you came from the airline industry, right? And I'm, I'm sure it's a very complicated work, right? I came from, you know, being an engineer and, and it's a complicated work, but we are all within our own world, right? Sometimes we think this is the world. This is how everybody should be reacting. This is the best that everybody can do. But suddenly when, when you go out of your network and meet another person, which come from a different, completely different circle and you start talking to them and they tell you things that you have never heard before, then you realize, okay, so you are, <laughs> your circle is too small. I think, you know, that's very important for you to go and listen to other people who are, as you said, who are smarter than you, who have done, who have done it, very important who have done it, right? Because people who have done, people who have bought like thousand units for them, you know, buying, you know, 50 units is not a big deal. They already done it. They can tell you all the shortcuts, right? And, and commercial is not, you know, it's not, it's not a joke. It's not like single family, right? You can make mistake and get away with it. It's commercial is multi-million dollar deals, right? And if you're syndicating is worse because... Now you have a lot of passive investors' money in it too. You do not want to make mistakes. So you're absolutely right. Now. Just find people who are willing to share. As, a, as, a, as we start in this podcast in the beginning, right? real estate is an is a area of investment where people are willing to share. Right? If you go to biggerpockets.com, you open a free account and you ask one question, there's like 100 people answering you. right? So can you do that? in stock? I mean, first of all, stocks is very hard to do because you don't have control itself right I mean, no one knows what's happening in the management if elon musk uh, smoke weed then the share goes down right you can't ask right. question will the price go down if elon musk <laughs> smoke weed right no one knows right but in real estate you can be it's more predictable right? same thing with bonds i mean it's an investment asset class uh, but not many people know about it it's super for me it's very uh, highly uh, secretive investment method right it sounds very simple but it's much bigger than that. Bonds is huge, right? I mean, same thing with Bitcoin and crypto and all that. All that is you buy by chance. You do not know what's happening behind it. They say there's some server running behind it and all that. But real estate is like you can make sense out of it. So I say there's a lot of people who are willing to share for free, right? Go to Facebook groups, you know, go to, 
you know, meetups. The problem I see is people uh, really do not want to take action to do it, right? And that's good. So uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting on uh, how did you, you know, uh, you know, find out and how did you move towards that uh, stage? And, uh, you know, you have 700 units right now and you're going to development. But before we go to development and the details of that, so you own three or what, 500 units, maybe four, four to 500 units in DFW area, which is a major core city, it's a business office, it's a city by itself. And you have like 242 units in Longview, Texas, right? So that's more of a tertiary market. Can you describe why did you invest in a tertiary market compared to continue focusing on DFW and what are the differences you see between this primary market and the uh, tertiary market? Oh, you mean the city market and the tertiary market? Well, for your audience, James, I know they're looking probably in different states and areas and regions, and you have a national Mm -hmm. representation. And so market selection, I have a four-pillar funnel, and I call these the four principles of real estate investing. And this funnel, real quickly, is the very first one is strategy. So you have to have a clearly defined strategy. The second is a team. You have to have a professional team. The third funnel, and this is sequential, right, is market selection. And then the fourth is property identification or criteria. A lot of people revert or invert that funnel and they begin to immediately look at property and then they maybe jump to strategy and then they jump around. And I believe that's the wrong way. I believe you have to start in the order and the sequence that I talked about. And so before I ever look at any property, whether it's a good or bad property or how big or small it is, you want to make sure you evaluate the market. So what you asked me was you said, why would you want to go to a secondary or tertiary market or non-primary market? Why is that better or worse or advantageous or disadvantageous? And the reason is because in the area where I invest and I'm familiar with, the primary markets were getting overheated. And what do I mean by that? Is they were being priced to perfection. In other words, they were being priced so highly, there was no margin for error or there was no attraction in the return because the markets and the amount of money that was going into these was driving the competition to the point where it had to literally be perfect. And the pricing was price to perfection is what I turned it, turned it. And there was really very little return to be had in this market with any level of risk mitigation. In other words, if the if the rents didn't just accelerate like a rocket ship, you weren't going to be able to make the return that you expected. Or if expenses didn't flatline like you wanted them to, or taxes or insurance went up, which it did substantially, right? Then your per, your perfect pricing model was in jeopardy. That is exactly what you are seeing now in the primary markets because expenses have continued to rise, but because of COVID, the revenues and the revenue increase has flatlined. And so a lot of these assets that are in primary markets that have suffered from perfect pricing, they're going to be in trouble because they will not make their rent growth projections. So the answer to your question, let me summarize it with 10 seconds, is this. The secondary markets and the tertiary markets have not suffered as greatly from what I coin 
perfect, perfect pricing as the primary markets have in Texas. Okay, that's interesting because, yeah, I didn't talk to anyone recently about tertiary market and uh, secondary market and how it's super. But you're, what you're saying is that market seems to be performing better compared to the primary market because primary market is basically everybody over, everybody overpaid, I guess, right? So because it's just so much competition and the brokers are more advanced and there's so many bidders and, you know, best and final and you end up being paying the highest price at the end of the day, right? So, and, and you're right, you're basically banging on rent growth and uh, usually the, the county are more aggressive as well in terms of uh, tax appraisals. Okay, very interesting. So let's go. To- I would add to that. Mm-hmm. So you do have to understand, though, there are differences in the secondary market and there's differences in the tertiary market that, and that's why I said first, strategy. Because you may not be able to execute the same strategy in the Austin downtown area that you mm-hmm. would off that you would uh, execute in the outer lying areas of Austin. Even though it's the same market, the sub market may be different. So it's just important that you understand. And remember, I said those that that funnel or the four pillars have a strategy, have a team that can execute the strategy. And then identify what market would be the best or some market, right? And then at the very end of that, notice that's when I said project specific. This is a 1985, 200 unit garden style, you know, but I've already answered the top three questions and that's given me an 80% green light, yellow light, or red light. If it's red, don't even worry about looking there for projects. And if it's yellow, that's where you may have a little bit of consulting with your coach or consulting with, you know, your advisor, mentor, should I pursue this? Is the opportunity right? And in the East Texas market, the one that you're describing, we found a yellow light with a good project and we were able to execute correctly. Got it. Got it. Got it. So is turning around a multifamily invest deal more complicated than F-16, the more, <laughs> the more complicated part of the F-16 or the real estate part is easy. The okay. personal part is harder, of course. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. So let's go to your development. So why did you start, uh, I mean, after you have these 700 units, you started working on this 300 units development in, in, in Austin, right? Uh, Mainer, near Austin, right? So why, why did you take that decision? And can you yeah. walk through our, the rationale? Sure. And so... James, your audience is listening today for one primary reason. As we as we span back and ask, why is your what value can I add to your audience? What value can you add? Mm-hmm. Why are they really listening? And I believe that most of them would say we're listening because we want to use the vehicle of multifamily real estate to reach our financial goals. And so the underlying question is, I want to become, I want to reach my financial goals. Right? That's pretty much what people want to do. They want to do that and then they feel like multifamily investing or working with James and his group is going to be the best, safest way. So I believe that's what everybody you know, is trying to do. I feel, feel the same way. So the very first thing is, like I already mentioned, strategy. And as we were looking in 2018 and this pricing to execute our strategy became so thin that we realized, I don't think I can really do this strategy anymore because I can't find a good acquisition price that gives me enough margin for error and at the same time an an attractive investment that I can execute a value-add strategy, which was what I was trying to do. 
And so we looked at about that same time, the tax incentive job acts bill of 2017 came out and it really advantaged redeployment or re recapitalization of capital gains. And that was the opportunity. It created opportunity zones. So if you were to reinvest capital gains into an opportunity zone project, it was extremely tax advantaged. And so we looked and we thought, boy, this is a great idea. It's kind of like a super 1031 exchange for your investors or your audience that don't know about that. And I can explain that in more detail if you'd like. But I said, let's look at all the opportunity zones and how can we pair opportunity zone investment projects with what we do, multifamily invest real estate, and put those two things together. Because the two principles of key worth of, of, net, of building net worth are this. One, efficiently place your capital in a cash producing asset. All right, so I'll say that again because this is important to hear. Efficiently place capital in a cash producing asset. Number two principle is execute that transaction in a tax advantaged event, if possible. So how could we do those together? Development project with an opportunity zone. It's a one-two punch for success. So that's, that's yeah, opportunity zone is, is crazy, right? I mean, I did cover opportunity zone with, uh, with uh, Scott Hendricks on, uh, you know, maybe three to four months ago, which is fascinating, right? On how much uh, tax advantage uh, that they would get. Did you get people trying to move their capital gain from real estate only or was it from stocks as well? Most of the people were already associated with real estate investing. And okay. so it was an easy transition uh, okay. for them. However, that is not necessarily a requirement of Opportunity Zone. When you 1031 exchange, which I know mm-hmm. your audience is familiar with, you have that's called a like-kind exchange. So real estate for real estate, business equipment for business equipment. You cannot sell your tractor at the farm and invest in real estate. You can't sell your art collection with a capital gain and invest that money into real estate. However, Opportunity zones, not required. It's a capital gain. So you can sell Google stock at a capital gain, invest that, reinvest that capital gain into an opportunity zone and have tremendous tax advantages. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So let's talk about how did you select this 300 unit development place? Can you walk us through what was the process? Okay, so you decided I want to do development. I want to do opportunity zone development. How did you choose this side or did you look at nationwide and and how did you come to this particular 300 unit site development? Yeah. So James, again, what you're asking me is how do you select market? What Mm -hmm. adds value to a real estate market, right? And that's Correct. that's number three. I mean, that's one of the very first things you want to be able to identify. And so there's three things, in my opinion, that establish consistent value in a real estate market. Number one is demographic changes. Are more people moving into that area or are more people moving out? An example, California, as you've read, okay, and you may be familiar with more than I am, A lot of people are exiting California because of taxes and other things, job loss and other areas. There's other parts of the country where they're experiencing uh, an out migration of population. So that's a long established trend that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by this afternoon. That's a trend that is established over a long period of time. Okay. Some markets are having an inflow of people moving to the area. 
All right. So we can get into all detailed analysis and, and data. But let me tell you this one example that anybody can understand. And this example last year had 21 million data points, 21 million. So that's a pretty big number, right? It's the number of one-way U-Haul rentals. What city in the United States has the number one, it's the top choice of one-way rentals to this city, Houston, Texas, right? And that area around that. So more people are moving to Houston, Texas, or that area around Texas, wherever, than any other place in the country, according to U-Haul truck rentals, right? And so the number one thing is demographics. Where are people moving? That's going to create a demand for housing. Number two, job growth. Where are the jobs being developed, right? A lot of jobs are being lost in areas and in cities and in governments that are not favorable for government or job growth. California is one of them, high taxes, a lot of government regulation in Texas, low taxes, and very favorable job regulations. So number two, job growth. And then number three is the supply and demand of housing in any one market or sub-market. So those three things are the way I chose the market. I looked at the entire map of opportunity zone areas, and they are identified by uh, census tracts. And then I said, of all of these areas, which one has the most favorable of those three conditions? And it's the Texas Triangle. It's North Texas, South, Westbound to uh, San Antonio, and then Eastbound to Houston, and then back to North. So that triangle, or what I refer to as the Texas Triangle, that area contains 85% of the Texas population and it contains the majority of jobs and anything invested in that area has all those three things that I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, for the audience, uh, if you guys want to know about what Lane is talking about, just Google Texaplex. There is a documentary which shows uh, this, you know, the Texas Triangle, right? And how much growth is happening in this triangle. I mean, if you look at, I mean, Texas had 50% of the job growth from 2009 to 2000, uh, you know, well, at that time it was 15, probably 19, 18 right now, right? So 50% job growth after the last crash, what happened in Texas, right? I think the, Texas is just going to continue to grow, even though now we're in, in COVID, right? And and it's just it's just so favorable, right? If you look at all the way that COVID is infected, it's nothing wrong with where it's being infected. It's just they are some vulnerability to that market, right? And, and Texas is one of the first state to open up, right? So yeah, I mean, that, that Texaplex uh, area is really, really powerful. But how many sites did you see before choosing this one particular site in, uh, in Manor near Austin? We looked at a lot, James. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the, a lot of the opportunity zones, the, uh, the federal government gave the authority to governors to say, here's the criteria, mm-hmm. you identify what areas you want. And a lot of those governors across the whole 50 states delegated that responsibility to state mayors or regional governor, governor officials. And some of them did a really good job of identifying areas that needed a redevelopment. And then some of them, I think, turned their homework in uh, the last hour and they didn't do a very good job. And so a lot of the opportunity zones that have been developed, you, you just they're just not, they don't have any financial or investment fundamentals that would make anybody want to invest there. And so they're very challenged. 
a lot of the other ones were more creative in what they were trying to do, realizing that if you stimulate this one part of the city, the other parts of the city may benefit from that, even though they may not be the most in need at this time. And so we looked at a lot and we concluded that almost 80% were areas that had zero financial incentive or investment incentives. And you just have to recognize that and then just move on. Uh, and so we found ones that we had those three qualifying characteristics. Got it, got it. So let's talk about the loan that you get in uh, this development deal, right? Because it, I believe it's a hard loan. So tell us about the, the loan that you get in this development. What are the advantages that you have seen or even the disadvantages that you have seen in this hard loan compared to your, you know, the normal uh, buying, you know, uh, already build uh, apartment complexes? So a development project has a lot more risk than just buying an existing project because if you buy an existing project and, and the management, the, the property management messes up, well, maybe you can fire them six months later and you can just rehire them. And within a matter of a month or two, they may be able to correct what was a problem uh, and get you back on track. But if you hire a development where it's just dirt and they mess the foundation up or they mess up something, they blow the budget. Six months later, you may have spent a whole lot of money and you have nothing to show for it. There is no income because there's nothing to rent. And so it's a lot riskier and there's a lot more risk involved. And so therefore, the funding and the development cost, you know, you're incurring a greater risk. Well, obviously, the government recognizes the fact that we have to develop new housing for our growing population and we have to replace existing stock. And so the government, through the HUD program, Housing Over Development, has created some very financial terms and financing conditions to encourage guys like you, James, audience members, and myself to develop this new property to meet the future needs of our country. And the program that, uh, that we're under is called HUD-221-D4. It's the development of new multifamily housing. And it's the gold standard. It's the Cadillac of financing. We just closed our loan and it's a 40-year fully amortized loan, fixed, permanent. And we got a 3.35% interest rate fixed for 40 years uh, and it's permanent. So I'd never have to worry about it. So it's, uh, that's the advantage. The terms are almost impossible to beat. What about the prepayment penalty? Right. So it's a 10-year prepayment penalty, and it's escalated down. So at 10 years, it can be paid off. It's fully assumable. And the, uh, the difficult part is it's just very difficult to get. There's a lot of qualifications for the sponsorship team, for the market, for the strategy, for the project itself. There's a tremendous amount of oversight. And so it's, uh, it's very rigorous in that regard, but it has very, very advantageous benefits if it meets your strategy, team, market, and property, and business model. So I think you're still in the early stage of development, right? Yeah, I don't think so. You have break ground yet, but would you do this again? Development compared to buying a deal that is, uh, that is reasonably priced, that's already built in? Yes. And the reason that I would say yes to that, even though we're going to have two years of development that is not, you know, cash flowing, 
The reason is because when you pair the right development opportunity with the tax advantages of an opportunity zone, it's what I call boom shakalaka. It's the one, two punch, right? So let me kind of give you some just general ideas of the cost. So our project, 320 units, we're building it at about the same price we can buy an existing class A project. And so we're building and the price to purchase existing is roughly the same. Now, in some markets that doesn't work because the cost to build is a lot more than the cost to buy. So you have to understand your financial model. And then now when I put that and combine that with the opportunity zone tax benefits, we're expecting a three or we're actually expecting a four X equity multiple. And that means that for every dollar you give me at the end of this project, I'm going to give you back $4, right? So if you were to do that with an existing project that was not opportunity zone, you would pay a 20% capital gain on those $4 or whatever your tax bracket was. But for simplicity's sake, let's say you were to pay 20%. This opportunity zone, if I give you back $4, your cash is taxed zero dollars. So immediately, without any appreciation or any change, the benefits of that appreciation have a 20% tax benefit because it's an opportunity zone. The opportunity zone does have requirements. You have to hold it 10 years. And so the hold period is a little bit longer, but couple that with the right financing, which was the HUD 221D4, which is a 10-year hold, it's the perfect match for our business model, and it's the perfect financing structure for development project with opportunity zone tax advantages. Yeah, yeah. And also the loan, uh, as you're talking before the show, is like you had it from beginning and you're not doing it from now until the end, right? Until you own it for 40 years. There's no refinancing in between. You don't have to change loans at all. Very interesting. Yeah, and that's correct. And, and so the thing that developers get, let's say you're a fantastic developer and you're the best there is and you develop a project and you say, hey, this project is going to take me three years to build. And uh, so I need a construction loan. And you get a three-year construction loan and you nail it, right? At the end of 24 months, you've perfected, you've been under budget. It's the perfect model. COVID happens. Now the value of your construction and your development, you nailed it. But the market took a 20 or 30% decrease. Well, guess what? Your loan doesn't care. You have to pay this loan off in nine or seven or eight months. You just finished construction nobody's renting because of COVID-19, it's stay at home or the, Mm -hmm. and so that's how developers go bankrupt. It's not that they necessarily blew the project, it's just the financing lined up with a horrible market condition that they may, I mean, who could have predicted that? No one, Mm -hmm. but there's gonna be developers that, that are fantastic developers that unfortunately got wrapped up in a very unfavorable market condition. Our loan, we have 40, years to pay it off. So right now it's 2020. This loan does not come due until 2060. So we're going to be able to write a couple cycles out, <laughs> even if it does turn out. Yeah, hope. that's very interesting because usually construction, that's the biggest risk, right? Once you know you do the beginning and you start construction and suddenly the construction guy said, okay, everything frozen up. We're not giving you money. Your, your LTV goes down. Now you bring more money, right? But in this case, your loan is different. And Couple that with the opportunity zone uh, tax advantage, right? So, did you have any normal investors who didn't want to take of the take advantage of the opportunity zone tax advantage? Is there was there anyone who just invest in this uh, who 
brought in cash rather than a capital gain or 1031 money into this. Absolutely. So James, I think, and again, this is so important to emphasize, the keys to net worth, building your net worth are number one, invest your money efficiently in a tax, uh, in a cash producing asset. Number two, if you can make that transaction tax advantaged event. There were investors who recognized the value of Austin, Texas, recognized the value of what we were doing. And they said, this is a good deal with or without the tax advantages. Real estate in general is very tax advantaged. And so there were plenty, in fact, probably half of our investors did not use the right type of capital that would benefit from the Opportunity Zone. The other half did. And both half, both sides are equally pleased with the project, the ones that didn't use the right capital, they're still going to get a great return. They're just going to have to utilize the taxes in a slightly less advantageous way. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Very interesting. So let's talk about yourself. I know the loan is 40 years from now, but I'm not, I don't know what's your plan with that, but where do you see you going from now, you know, from F-16 pilot, you're still flying. And you're doing all this multifamily syndication and now you're doing development. Where do you see you move moving forward from here? Well, James, that's another great question. So you're asking a lot about, you know, my goals and and I and I love real estate. I love to help other people. And the reason that I love to do that is because this is my purpose. And that's to help you, James, help James's audience to become a better millionaire. That's what I really gets me charged up. Hmm. And why do I say that? Because you have a passion in your life. Maybe it's real estate. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your community. Maybe it's your church, whatever it is, your family, travel, whatever. That's great. But sometimes we're so engaged with our nine to five vocation that we can't spend our talents and our passions where we really desire. And so the vehicle of real estate allows passive investment and it allows you the financial wherewithal so that you can hopefully break away from that employment and you can get more free time. So now you can spend your talents, your times, and your treasures where you really get the most satisfaction. And I hope that you use those for the altruistic good of mankind. Maybe it's the Boy Scouts of America. Maybe it's your community. Maybe it's your church organization. Maybe it's your you know travel or other things. But if you're working 50 to 60 to 70 hours a week, which a lot of us are out there doing, it's very difficult for you to have extra time, money, or resources to really leave the impact or the influence that your life passion could. And so you asked me a question, and I wanted to back it up with that camera, with that color to ask, what gives me a kick? It gives me a kick when I can help James become a better millionaire, or I can help James's audience become a better millionaire. The vehicle I'm going to drive us there is multifamily investing, and I'm driving the bus. Get on the bus. Let's become better millionaires. And then when we get there, you get off the bus and you say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make the world better through my community involvement or through my whatever your passion in life is. Got it. Got it. So that's awesome. One question I have for you is, was there any moment in your life where you think that I was really proud of what I did in, in your real estate business. That, that moment, you, can't, you can never forget it until the end. Can you describe that moment? Well, there's certainly moments like that all the time. I'm, I'm very, I get a big charge out of uh, real estate. I love to talk about it. And I would say the, to answer your question most clearly was one of my properties, the very first property I bought, I didn't know very much and I didn't have a lot of the uh, experience that I have now. 
and I was swinging. Like I said, I had been doing real estate single family for 10 years. And, and then I transitioned to multifamily and I did, I was just killing myself with effort and I made no progress, zero results. Right. And then finally, I, somebody gave me some good advice. I went underneath the council of good counsel and I was able to acquire a property. It was in my hometown here in Fort Worth. And, uh, and it was a value add reposition of an uh, vintage asset. And we basically did a really nice job. I teamed with smart people. We executed a plan. And that property, the very first property, this was a 25-unit property in Fort Worth. And it competed for property of the year for the Apartment Association of Tarrant County and won. And this is a 25-unit property competing against all assets less than built prior to 2000. And so that was 1,500 properties in Tarrant County. And it was number one. And so I'm really proud of that fact. And uh, as much of it is, is, is luck or whatever you want to say, maybe for <laughs> No, no, no. I would never that. say it's a luck. I mean, when I won the property of the year for uh, San Antonio, it was very surprising itself because I'm sure you went to this gala, the dinner gala that apartment association have, where they have like, you know, two, three tables of like 10 people each from each company, right? Capstone, Greystone, all kind of stone there, right? And <laughs> And every time their people win the award, they get a big clap and there's a, the, the whole room becomes very loud. I'm not sure whether they do that in Fort Worth, but in San Antonio, they did that, right? And when I won, <laughs> it was surprising because I was the only one standing and going because you know, it was a snowy day and no one else came. And, and I, I'm not a big management company, right? But when we won, uh, I was going alone. I, did you have that same experience? Were you walking alone where everybody's wondering who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, the properties that were in competition, uh-huh. they were run by professionals, professionals and long right. established. I mean, it was pretty much like a high school team beating the Dallas Cowboys. The, they were not expecting a 22 year old 1965 property to win. And it was uh, it was yeah. like I was Rudy from Notre Dame. And, and so <laughs> everybody gave me the golf clap. Ah, but, uh, you know, I'm sure under their under their uh, under their voice, they were like, who's Who is this what is guy? This yeah, guy? I know. I had that. So, I had like a very quiet, very everybody's quiet because they don't know who's this guy, which company is, which stone is this guy, right? <laughs> but uh, I mean, they clapped at the end, but it was like just, you know, it's just a, some of the proud moments that we have in our life, right? Where we're able to beat all these big guys out there. This is not the IRO of the year award. This is property of the year. IRO of the year, you, you compete within the IROs, right? There's not many IROs anyway. But property of the year, you compete with all the big guns out there, right? All the class A's, all the top-notch, uh, you know, property management company, which is completely different, right? So awesome, Lane. So tell us, tell our audience how to get hold of you. Yeah, I'd love to. And like I said, my goal, and I get a charge out of helping other people invest and get better. I want you to get there faster and safer than I did. And if there's anything I can do to help you, James, or your audience, I'd love to help out. I love talking about this. It helps me when I talk about it with you and understand what your goals, needs, and desires are to sharpen my own skill and sharpen my own skull. And so I try to educate people. I try to train people. And I have basically, I link all of my videos and education series onto my Facebook and LinkedIn page. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Lane Bean, L-A-N-E-B-E-E-N-E. You can find me on Facebook, two places. One is Pilot Legacy Private Equity Group. And that's where we post all of our training and video education. Or you can also find me on my uh, website page, which is pilot-legacy.com. Or you can email me directly. And um, 
to talk to me about anything. Like I said, I'd love to talk to and help you, James, or your audience, or any market studies or anything I can do. Certainly do that. Or you can email me, lane.bean at pilot-legacy.com. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure all of us had a lot of uh, value out of your knowledge and the discussion itself. Thank you. Thank you, James, and your audience. Good luck to you. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.